first please give a round of applause to the New York Creative Interns, to Emily and Kate. They are miracle workers, they make magic happen, and they make following my life very easy. I don't have 101 secrets to share or anything, but I'm going to do my best to come up with a few. I never truly understood the phrase, change is the only constant, or the only certainty is uncertainty, until I became a solopreneur and went out on my own. And that was two years ago, almost to the day. I hit my two-year anniversary this coming Friday. And <laughs> thank you. It's been a crazy roller coaster. People say that personal, that intimate relationships are the best vehicle for personal growth. Well, so is starting your own business. It's crazy, it's a wild ride, but I've learned so much, and particularly this last year has been one of major transition. So at first I got a little self-conscious, like, who throws a party for a website? Like, now I've just gone off the deep end, I've gone crazy. But at the same time, it really is a celebration, and it's meant to mark a, a very important time in my life. It's my life after life after college. And there were so many of you who were actually at the Life After College book launch party, and it's amazing to see how much we all grow and evolve in just one year of our life. That's partly what this postcard idea is about, that what do you want to say to yourself four or five months from now? Because so much of life happens every day, and every minute, and every year. When I was thinking about what should I talk about today, first, you know, I want to acknowledge that when people see a big shiny website launch or a big shiny party, you're seeing that. You're seeing the shiny. <laughs> and that's great. Let's all celebrate and be shiny and look good and you know. But Paula can tell you just as well as I can that it is a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that goes into these big launches, whether it's a book or a website. And in my case, many, many, many tears. <laughs> so this year for me has not, it's not really about a website, it's about who am I? What's next for me? Who am I if not a Google employee or the author of Life After College? What if I, you know, to pick a next direction and stand behind it, what does that really look like? And I've got to say those answers did not come overnight. And so part of what I want to share tonight is this idea of transition and embracing it. My favorite part of my book is the one that I didn't write. It's called The Parable of the Trapeze, and I got permissions to include it in my book, and I actually want to read it tonight, so bear with me, because I'm going to read from my phone for a minute. But this story, I come back to it all the time, and I really love it. It's called The Parable of the Trapeze, Turning the Fear of Transformation into the Transformation of Fear. I don't know if any of you in this room ever feel afraid, or that you have growing pains for some big change you're making in your life, but I think that you'll all resonate. The author says, sometimes I feel that my life is a series of trapeze swings. I'm either hanging on to a trapeze bar swinging along, or for a few moments in my life, I'm hurtling across space in between trapeze bars. Most of the time, I spend my life hanging on for dear life to my trapeze bar of the moment. It carries me along at a certain steady rate of swing, and I have the feeling that I'm in control of my life. I know most of the right questions and even some of the answers. But every once in a while, as I'm merrily, or even not so merrily, swinging along, I look out ahead of me into the distance, and what do I see? I see another trapeze bar swinging toward me. It's empty. And in the place in me that knows, I know that this new trapeze bar has my name on it. It's my next step, my growth, my liveness coming to get me. In my heart of hearts, I know that for me to grow, I must release my grip 
on this present well-known bar and move to the next one. Each time it happens to me, I hope, no, I pray, that I won't have to let go of my old bar completely before I grab the new one. But in my knowing place, I know I must totally release my grasp on my old bar, and for some moment in time, I must hurtle across space before I can grab the new one. Each time, I'm filled with terror. It doesn't matter that in all my previous hurdles across the void of unknowing, I have always made it. I am each time afraid that I will miss. That I will be crushed on the unseen rocks in the bottomless chasm between bars. I do it anyway. Perhaps this is the essence of what the mystics call the faith experience. No guarantees, no net, no insurance policy, but you do it anyway because somehow to keep hanging on to that old bar is no longer on the list of alternatives. So for an eternity that can last a microsecond or a thousand lifetimes, I soar across the dark void of the past is gone, the future is no, not yet here. It's called transition. I've come to believe that this transition is the only place that real change occurs. I mean real change, not the pseudo change that only lasts until the next time my old buttons get punched. I've noticed that in our culture, this transition zone is looked upon as a no thing, a no place between places. But that void in between, it's just a scary, confusing, disorienting nowhere that must be gotten through as fast and as unconsciously as possible. No! What a wasted opportunity that would be. I have a sneaking suspicion that the transition zone is the only real thing. And the bars are illusions we dream up to avoid the void where the real change, the real growth, occurs for us. Whether or not my hunch is true, it remains that transition zones in our lives are incredibly rich places. They should be honored, even savored. Yes, with all the pain and fear and feelings of being out of control that can, but not necessarily, accompany transitions, they are still the most alive, most growth-filled, passionate, expansive moments in our lives. So, transformation of fear may have nothing to do with making fear go away, but rather giving ourselves permission to hang out in the transition between trapezes. Transforming our need to grab that new bar, any bar, is allowing ourselves to dwell in the only place where change really happens. It can be terrifying. It can be also enlightening in the true sense of the word. Hurling through the void, we may just learn how to fly. In honor of this parable, this guidance that I've turned to for years upon years, I decided it'd be a good idea to sign up for a trapeze class today. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to do some research for my book launch party. Who needs to figure out what I'm wearing, going to wear, get work done, or even practice my speech? No, I'm going to go take a trapeze class. And then lucky for me, my roommate Julie and my friend Alyssa coordinated. Alyssa flew in and surprised me fresh off the plane from Thailand. So here I was thinking I'm going to go this trapeze class alone. Alyssa's there with me. We get in the cab, we get there, and it starts raining. So, Alas, I don't have any grand insights from the air, but I did bring a few secrets of my own to share about this experience. First, seek adventure. Sometimes when we get stuck and we're in transition, we feel that stagnant energy and we don't know what to do with it. Seek adventure. Go somewhere. Sign up for a random class. Do something fun. Come to a party like this. You all win tonight for adventure, meeting new people. Second, sometimes life will rain on your parade or your trapeze class. <laughs> Show up anyway. We kind of knew. I have to say, there was a part of me that was like, is it going to get rained out? Maybe I kind of wanted to get rained out. We were just sitting around watching TV. We showed up, and it was rained out. Well, you know what? That's okay, because so much of it is about showing up. 
And you don't know. There are no guarantees in this life. There's not a guarantee that if you quit your job, you're going to make a million dollars and live in Thailand year-round. But you do it anyway. You show up for what matters to you. Because that's part of the process of coming alive. Cold feet are just cold feet. Before my job youth class, I had that feeling, if any of you played high school sports, of like, please let it be a rain day, please let it be a rain day, my kids are going to get canceled, and lucky me, I'll get out of it with an excuse. Maybe I manifested that it got canceled, but I realized it's just cold feet. A week, a week before my website launched, I called a friend, and I was kind of in a panic. I was just like freaking out. What have I been doing the last year? This is so self-centered. Look at these pictures of me everywhere. Who do I think I am? Why am I throwing a party for a website? I mean, I really started to lose it. And then I realized, oh yeah, this is that familiar feeling that I'm about to do something big and I'm taking a creative leap and it's a little scary for me. And so of course, a week before this thing is about to launch, I just started flipping out and really doubting myself. And it's just cold feet. So if you're experiencing that in something that you're doing in your own life, it's okay. Now, if they're 50-pound ice blocks weighing your feet down and you can't move, that's maybe a sign that it's time for a change. And then, let's see, the last one. Oh, a couple, couple last little insights from this truckies analogy. One, the guy told us, as they were training us for the truckies, that you have to time your trip. So it's about doing it at the top of the swing when you have the most momentum and the least gravity working for you. And he actually said it's counterintuitive. You're going to want to start your trip too early. And the timing is to wait longer than you think you need to wait. And I thought that was really interesting. Because so often, especially in the personal development world, you hear people say things like, take a leap, take a risk, go after it. But so often it really is about timing. And I wanted to launch this website in January. But here it was in June, and that's when it came out. And, you know, I realized I wouldn't have been ready a day sooner. And so sometimes the timing aspect is it's okay to wait, and it's okay to wait until you know for sure. Another principle that I really live by is in commitment we find freedom. This whole idea of the trapeze for me is about finding freedom. It's the freedom to be yourself, the freedom to make changes in your life, the freedom to let go of the old bar that's no longer serving you and to move on, move forward, and grab for that new bar even when you can't see it yet. And sometimes committing to something, to a big idea, to another person, to yourself, that's freedom. So there's a misconception that freedom is selling all your belongings, ditching everything you own, untying every tie that you have to things in your life and people in your life. And I don't believe that. I believe that by choosing who and what we commit to, we're really honoring ourselves, and that's what gives us freedom. And then finally, at this trapeze school, there's a safety net. And in life, our safety net is our support system, and it's our community. It's our amazing friends. I'm so blessed to have all of you here in this room, people that some of you I'm meeting just tonight, some of you flew in from Thailand, some of you my New York City angel from many years ago, Julie and Allie and New York creative interns, and just to see faces, old and new, and Ina, it's just so great and amazing to have all of you here, and Nick and your data, Dan and Tim, and I'm looking out, and you know, this is the net that we are so lucky to have in our lives, and we've all got it. And it's just a matter of appreciating the support system and I, I, they're not here, but I really want to say thank you to Adam and to Nina and Alex and the people who helped 
built my site, and Melissa, who's not here, and to Paul for helping just be amazing at Life After College. This, something like this takes a village. And so, again, we can come to a party, and we can celebrate the shiny, but there's a lot of people that help with things like this in our lives, and the same is true for you. So I want to encourage you that if you are in transition and making a big change in your life, lean in to the community around you. And also don't be afraid to, to give back. You know, how can you support others? Even if you don't have your footing all the way, you'd be amazed at what it can do and how powerful that is. And it will come back a hundredfold. Thank you again so much for being here. And I just look forward to celebrating But if you haven't already, write yourself a postcard. I'm going to mail it in a couple months. And it could be goals, reasons why you're awesome. You could even send it to someone else, and I'll put a stamp on it and mail it. And after you leave this party, definitely come stop by my new internet home, jennyblake.me. And I haven't even told you what it's about yet, but the basic idea is exploring how to thrive at the intersection of mind, body, and business. So thank you again for your support and for being here. Start first by opening up with this video. I'm a social media expert. I'm a social media expert. I'm a social media expert. I'm, like, I'm a PR pro. I'm a dreamer. I'm a writer. Designer. Achiever. Instigator. Liberator. Firestarter. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a solo I'm a quadpreneur. My side hustle. It's my side hustle. <laughs> side hustle. I sell a lot of stuff on eBay. I love phone. I smell flowers for people. I am absolutely crushing it. Yeah, I'm still a Starbucks. That's it. I'm starting a blog. Just wasn't passionate about it, you know? I just didn't feel it, you know? They didn't get me, you know? I want to love what I do, you know? It just wasn't me, you know? I know, right? I know, right? I blog with it, Google it, Facebook it, tweet it, text it, pen it, Etsy it, Vine it, totally Vine it. <laughs> Dear Internet World, remember me? OMG. It's called a meme. Why is no one reading my blog? That's her cover photo. Boo comma, totes. LOL. I said blogging months ago. Totes credit time is 5,000. <laughs> yeah, I know LOL. I like Mumford and Sons way before they were Mumford and Sons. <laughs> so vintage. So yesterday. So yesterday, it's now. Handmade vintage knitted scarves for cats. Made in Africa. Mom, uh, Dad, I'm moving back in. I'm depressed. I need a vacation. Can't believe I'm still not in love. When am I like gonna start? I can just make it to the next season of Downton Abbey. I need to actually believe in stuff. I need to take a road trip. I hate my cubicle. I'm having a quarter life crisis. I'm having a quarter life crisis. If I only knew the secret. Figure out the secret. If I only knew the secret. 
Hey everybody, uh, my name is Paul Angoni, and this is my book, 101 Secrets for Your 20s, which released today. <laughs> this is actually the launch party right now. I don't know what I just did, hopefully I don't do that again, but I, I really appreciate you guys all being here. It's such an honor to be here to speak with you. Uh, I had a, a cool pre-release party in LA, that's where I live. I got done at like 3 a.m., went to the airport at 6, flew in, it's been a crazy ride, but I'm so pumped to be here to connect with all of you. I've had already so many amazing conversations with you guys, and I can't wait to connect more with you after we're done talking. And a big thanks to Jenny Blake, she's awesome. I have the privilege of writing for Life After College, first her website, uh, her first inaugural website, and then I also write for allburnup.com, which led to this book. And so my story starts with kind of how I got into all this, is that after I graduated college, I was pretty sure that I was going to make a lot of money, while also make a difference, maybe change the world slightly, but basically have just an all-around sweet life by about 23, 24, and kind of have it all set. Be one of those entrepreneurs that can retire, you know, and uh, be the cover of a magazine. So it was a little bit uh, disconcerting when I started interviewing for jobs, and first of all, I realized that I couldn't get interviews for jobs that, that uh, employers weren't too excited about my degree in communication studies that I was so proud of. I'm like, ah, I can communicate. You should, you should hire me. Come on. And so my first job interview, my only job interview, was for a used airplane parts sales assistant. I know what you're thinking. Dream job right there, right? So I go into that interview, and I'm freaked out, right? It's my first real interview. But, but mainly I'm freaked out because I'm thinking through all the plane rides I've been on that have been using used airplane parts. <laughs> right? I want, I want the wings that are carrying my plane to be brand spanking new. I don't want any used parts. So that began pretty much my 20s of interviewing for crappy jobs, of a lot of things not going as I planned. And so, really, I, I, I was climbing those stairs, you know, climbing the steps trying to get to that place. Maybe you guys have felt that same way too. You know, you just keep climbing those steps because somewhere up there, that's where it is. You know, you're going to make it. When you get up to that floor, you know, that 15th floor, that's when success is going to happen. So I was really expecting, this is about what my life would look like when I reached the top of those steps, right? The place that Jenny Blake worked. Google. But this was my reality. It wasn't a Jenny Blake reality. Somehow I climbed up the steps and then somehow they tricked me going back down and somehow I ended up in the basement. <laughs> you know, and I, and I seriously, I felt very much lost, but I also felt like I started... Your presence is too powerful. Sorry. Uh, I felt like I was exploring too. And so for years, it took me a lot of time, effort, and really I started writing to figure out, okay, how do you do your 20s really well? How do you do your life well? What are the secrets? Um, obviously, I don't hold all the secrets. Uh, you know, 101 secrets, that's, you know, it's a name. You know, there's lots of things that you got to do to do life well. But I started trying to figure out what are those things um, to not just be lost, but be lost on purpose with purpose. Because really, exploring and being lost are really the same thing. You don't know really where you're going. You're leaving the familiar. You're doing all those things. But you're lost on purpose with purpose. So you're, you're, and, and that's really what your 20s are about. It's kind of venturing out and being lost on purpose and trying to figure out, okay, where do I go next? And reading those road signs. So for eight years, it's really been my passion to figure out what are the secrets for your 20s. And that has been my life. 
I've been writing about that, thinking about that. I did a master's program. Everything has been about how do you be successful in this time period. Um, it's been an obsession, probably an, an unhealthy obsession in some ways, but it's really been my passion. And so that's what is in my book. It, it's those kind of light bulb moments. And that's why you know, I have a light bulb up there. It's, it's not these, this, my book's not this self-help book. It's not a formula of follow these seven steps and you'll be successful. I, I hated reading those books when I was in my 20s, right? Because they just felt false. My book is a bunch of light bulbs. Some of them are serious, and some of them are not so serious. So let me go through just a few of them uh, before I end my talk. This is one secret. <laughs> Don't ever begin dating somebody that you first met whilst in swimsuits. <laughs> Especially if you're in swimsuits and you're each holding an alcoholic beverage. It just, it seems like a good idea at the time, but you're really not thinking through the correct brain. Um, and so, maybe it's not the best idea. It's probably going to end up in what did I just do more than I do. So, uh, maybe not the best, best thing. This was a tough one that I learned the hard way. <laughs> I was going to put a picture of my first couple years in a cubicle because I did not realize this. That in a cubicle you sit a lot. And there's a thing about offices, I don't know if you guys have experienced this as well, when people don't really like their jobs, they eat all the time. And offices are always having excuses to eat more. And we're not talking carrots and hummus. We're talking birthday cake, the July 4th barbecue-lusa, uh, you know, whatever they can figure out so they can eat more food. So I definitely, uh, you know, uh, I kind of gained a little bit, like 2, 3, 30 pounds uh, my first couple years working. This is another secret. If you're single, don't check Facebook, that's not going to help. There's got to be a study out there somewhere that says, after 9.17 p.m., only bad things happen on Facebook. That's when the most stalking of exes happens, is when it's after 9.17 p.m., and all of a sudden you've gone through the black void of 300 pictures of their album. Not that any of you guys have ever done that, not that I've ever done that. I started realizing in my own life that I was really plagued by OCD. That was one of my biggest issues in my 20s. And I'm not talking OCD that you usually think about it. I'm talking obsessive comparison disorder. Yes. And that was a big issue in my 20s. And it was really the stealer of my creativity, my peace, and myself. Uh, feelings of contentment, feelings of that I'm, I'm doing okay. Because I was always comparing myself, right? Comparing myself to celebrities, com comparing myself to fellow authors. Looking at Jenny Blake and going, oh, I want to be Jenny. I want to have a published book. You know, all those things. Uh, and so it was a lot of that. And so I was figuring out, you know, maybe I shouldn't be measuring myself to all these people. Maybe I should look to them for inspiration, but not always be praying myself. Um, I need to live my own life. If I'm not going to live my story, who is going to live my story? I should stop trying to uh, swim to everybody else's ship instead of just, you know, living on my own. Because I was drowning trying to swim to theirs. You know, because the grass is always greener on the other side until you get there and you realize it's because of all the manure. Because <laughs> that's the thing. Everybody's got their own pile of manure that they're dealing with. Even the people that you look up to, the people we want to be like, they have their own crap, right? And so it's this freeing realization of, you know, that they got their own problems. The grass is fine right here. I need to deal with this grass with my own manure. 
Because it's fertilizing something too, right? The manure has a purpose. It helps things grow. So I start figuring out that I was on this epic search for supposed to my entire 20s. When is my life going to turn out like it was supposed to? When am I going to be successful like I was supposed to? And then it hit me. You know, life will never feel like it's supposed to. Because most of the time, it's supposed to is a lie. It's kind of this built-up expectation, you know, from family, from friends, from TV shows, from movies, whatever it is. But it's not something that we really define. You know, success is this very subjective word, right? You guys know this. And it only takes when you sit down and really define, what is success going to be like for me? And that was a big realization for me. I was chasing everybody else's success. I needed to figure out what success was for me. There was no supposed to. And so for my journey, it took a lot of years of writing and failing to figure out, you know, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't wait to get done with all the struggle so that I could get to my story. But then I kind of realized that my struggle was the story. You know, I was learning and growing through that. Because crappy jobs are a 20-something rite of passage. Maybe some of you guys can relate. And I have had a fair share of them myself. I worked in a call center, an inbound call center. Has anybody worked in a call center before? People don't call a call center because they're happy and excited about the way that your company is handling things. I was in a call center and for the lowest level client, so they only had two of us in this queue, and so people would wait an hour to an hour and a half before they get to me. And right when I'd hang up the phone, my phone would be ringing again. You don't ever stop. And so I remember just leaving work and just, just pleading that, that something would happen, that something would change. I went to interview for a job to sell meat door to door in Hollywood. And if you've ever been to Hollywood, it's not this glorious, glamorous place. It's kind of seedy and dirty, and it's not a great place to be selling steak door to door <laughs> during the summer, right? I interviewed 25, 26. I have my college degree. I'm just trying to make money. I interviewed to teach Korean kids how to take the SAT, and I couldn't speak Korean, and I sucked at the SAT. <laughs> and I needed money, so I showed up for the interview. And I go to this interview, and we're about to sit down, and they're like, oh, hold on, you got to come this way. We go through the building into a back alley, and we had this interview in between two dumpsters. And I remember thinking to myself, I never smelled so much trash while I'm trying to interview. I think I'm really off my interview game right now. I don't think I'm going to get this job. And I didn't get the job, no. But that's okay. If they're showing you the back dumpsters during your interview, it's, it's not a good sign. Where do you go up from there, you know? But I start figuring out, you know, I was working a lot of crappy jobs because really, I wasn't worried, I wasn't focused on the most important thing that I shouldn't be worried about being in the wrong job. I should be worried about getting my job, my job getting the wrong me. And a lot of jobs in my 20s were getting the wrong me, meaning I wasn't showing up, I wasn't doing good work. This was only 50% of my dream job, so I was only giving 50% of my, uh, my effort. And this really hit me one day when I was at Starbucks. And it was this packed Starbucks. You know, it was Christmas time. You know how it is. Has anybody worked at Starbucks as a barista? You guys, you guys know how it is, right? You have these uptight people coming, to get, ordering their triple foam, no, you know, double latte, 13 pack, packets of Splenda, you know, all this stuff. And I'm watching this guy, and he's making drinks. And people are I'm standing there talking to him. And they're telling him stories. And he's going, oh, yeah, 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 OK. Oh, your drinks are your drinks. And he's flying. He's making all these drinks. And I see people getting drinks. And they're still waiting there kind of by the bar. And I'm like, what is the deal? Why don't these people leave? 
You know, it's packed in here. Get out of here. And then one person in front leaves, and the next person comes up who's holding this drink, and he starts talking to the barista making drinks, and I'm like, they're all waiting to talk to the guy making drinks. I'm like, did they all just come here and to get a drink was an excuse so they could talk to this guy? He's like everybody's best friend. I'm like, what is with this guy? You know, so I stopped kind of writing and I'm watching this guy and I'm studying him. And when he takes his break and he's walking around the store, literally, I kid you not, people are yelling across the store, Chad, Chad, you gotta come over here, come over here, I want you to meet somebody, I want you to meet somebody. I'm like, I have met the mayor of Starbucks. <laughs> like, I need to get his paper out and get this guy's autograph, because he is famous. I don't know why, you know? I'm trying to figure it out. So I'm a writer, and I start thinking up this guy's story, like, what is with this guy? Like, I'm thinking up his backstory, right? You always got to come up with a backstory, you know, to be a good writer. So I'm like, yeah, this guy, you know, he's like 32, 33. He's not like a young college kid. I'm like, you know, maybe he was selling real estate, and like, his job blew up during the Great Recession. You know, so he, he got fired, and now he's in a lot of debt. Yeah, so, and, and then he had to move in back in with his parents, of course. You got to move back in with your parents, that's a good backstory. And he's in the basement. <laughs> And, and, and Starbucks is the only job he can get, and, um, and then I see him limp a little bit. Literally, I see him limp, and I'm like, and he's got one leg. <laughs> he's got one leg. Okay, he's a real estate job, he's even one there, living in his parents. I'm like, this is great. I'm, I'm, I'm creating a Hallmark character here. Like, this guy's too good to be true, the mayor of Starbucks. And then, I kind of play a little bit of a lie on you guys, because every part of that guy's story was true, because that guy's my brother. And I was watching him work at Starbucks, and I'd never seen him work at Starbucks before. So he lost his job. He uh, he's living back with parents. You know, he has one leg. He was born without a leg, so it's really hard for him to stand up at Starbucks. He'll never say it, but I know it. And I was just completely convicted by how good of a job he was doing. And he's told me before, you know, Paul, it's really tough for me to go to work at 4 a.m and go to Starbucks, I really don't enjoy it, but I've made an intentional decision to bring the best of myself to work every single day. And that's the only thing I can do. It's the only thing I can do right now. It's the only thing I can control. And when I was watching my brother, I almost didn't want to, I didn't want to experience that, because talk about convicting. When you're watching your own brother um, just kill it at Starbucks, you know. And so that's when I figured out, you know, I can't, I, I, I gotta start putting my best effort into my job. Really, a lot of my 20s was built on what I felt was a lot of failure. Things not going as I planned. Um, you know, I thought I was going to have a book deal by 24, 25, or going to publishers, and it just didn't work out. I just kept having one thing after another not work out. And I kept having to try new things, work harder, keep hustling. And I figured out, you know, it's okay, because the biggest failure of our 20s would be if we never had it. That would be the biggest failure. It's okay that things aren't going as they were planned. That's supposed to be the, that's the point. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of just wrong doors. You've got to keep stepping up to doors to keep knocking on them. And ten times, they're not going to open. And then one time, they will. And that's when they'll go through it. And really, that's what happened to me. You know, I, I kind of had to start over. I started a website called allgrownup.com. Some of you might have seen it. And I really wrote for about a year. And it was, you know, small and growing. And then I had one article called 21 Secrets for Your 20s really take off. Um, it went viral. It crashed my website twice kind of became this you know, viral catalyst movement that brought a lot of people to my site. And it was because of all the failure and all the writing and all the stuff that I've been doing that it gave me a, a platform to be able to hold all that. Because when I was 24 and I was trying to get a book deal, my biggest worry was that a publisher was going to say yes. Because I wasn't ready. I felt scared out of my mind. Um, and so it, it took me a long time to get ready. Because there's an unsexy truth about finding our passion. 
right? Everybody wants to find your passion. That's like the key phrase. Everybody's like, you got to find your passion. you got to find your passion. Well, really, you only find your passion in failure that you've refused to let fail. That's the, only, that's the only way to find your passion. If you tell me another way that you truly can find your passion, I'd love to hear it. It's easy to pretend you're passionate about something when you're really getting a lot of money, getting a lot of accolades for it. But when you fail at it, but yet you come back the next day and you do it again, that's when you know. That's when you know you're passionate about this. So for me, I kept writing. No matter how much failure, no matter how many no's, and I heard a lot of no's from publishers, I kept writing. It was something I could not not do. That's when you're passionate about something. When you're doing it and you, can, you can't not do it. And you just keep going. Because the possibility for greatness and embarrassment both exist in the same space. It has to. It has to. So you have to be willing to embarrass yourself. And really, in, in my book, is a lot of just embarrassing stories of my own life. And I learned this when, and this, I'll, I'll wrap this up with this story. Um, I was at a, a park, and I, sh I was riding my bike, and I hear music, and I show up, and there's like this Beach Boys cover band going on. And uh, there's like 500 people there, and they end their song, and I'm kind of right next to the stage, and then the Beach Boy cover band says, hey, we're going to give away a free guitar, a Les Paul white sweet guitar, to the first five people that come up on stage and play air guitar. And whoever wins, whoever gets the most uh, clap, uh, clapping will win the guitar. And I'm looking at the crowd, and I'm like, I have like a 50-yard head start on all these people. I could be up on stage in like a heartbeat. I'm like, how sweet would it be to ride away and then come back to my family, and I'm holding a sweet Les Paul guitar? I'm like, this is going to be such a sweet story. This is going to be epic. But I didn't win the guitar because as I was looking at the crowd, looking on the stage, I got really freaked out. I'm like, oh, they're going to think I'm they're going to think I'm stupid. I don't want to embarrass myself in front of all these people, so I didn't do it. And then I watched these people do air guitar, and they were terrible. They sucked. They were all embarrassed, right? So they were doing this kind of crappy air guitar. I'm like, I totally could have won that guitar. But it hit me. You know, you've got to be on stage if you're going to win. You know, you can't be in the crowd, you know, in that first row saying, I swear I could have done better. I swear I could have, you know, done that better than that person. You've got to take the risk and be up on stage. And I wasn't willing to take the risk. And so I really learned, you, get, you know, the possibility for greatness and embarrassment, they have to exist in the same space. Because our 20s are more about setting the, t setting the table than enjoying the feast. It's really this time of preparation. You're getting everything ready. You're getting all that stuff ready for the time when it's right. And then you're ready. You're, you're prepared. You're ready to enjoy that meal that you've been preparing for. You know, so it's okay. If it's taking time right now, if you're unemployed, if you're going through a lot of struggle, if you're moving back in with your parents, if you're doing the whole thing, you are not alone. There's so many of us that have that story. I did, and that really became my own story, is helping encourage other people doing the same thing. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate you guys coming.